working on questions that uh, people want to know about the Bible, not specific questions, but big general topics. And uh, the first or second one that we're tackling this year, topic two, is a great big one, the end times and the afterlife. What happens at the end of the world? What happens in the afterlife? Uh, We've studied a couple of things on that, kind of laid the groundwork about understanding prophecy and the, the millennium and how that kind of plays into it. Uh, last week we started with topic 2C, uh, the intermediate state. What happens immediately when a human dies? What happens to the body, the spirit, uh, all of that? Where is it? And we're still working on that tonight. Uh, next week we'll talk about the second coming. Then the final judgment, and then heaven and hell. So those are all end times, afterlife. Fancy word for that is eschatology, the study of the end times, the the last things. Uh, Last time we started on the intermediate state, what does happen when we die. And we talked about a couple of views uh, that people have that we don't think are correct, or I don't think is correct. Uh, The most... One we probably want to pay most attention to is some people think when we die that the soul goes to the place of the dead somewhere and just goes to sleep and sleeps until the resurrection day and then God wakes us up and restores us with our resurrection body. We're not teaching that one in this lesson anyway. Uh, We believe that the Bible does teach there is an intermediate state, not just an intermediate period, uh, where we don't know what's going on. We believe there's a state where we are conscious, where we know what's going on, uh, where we're aware of things. And so that's kind of what we established last week. So if there is an intermediate state, uh, which we're teaching there is, uh, what's the condition? What's it... The soul like uh, in that intermediate state, the body's in the grave. Uh, what's the spirit doing? What kind of condition is it in? Where is it? All of that. So that's what we're going to try to wrap up tonight. Uh, we started a little bit last week on that. We went to the back page of your handout and uh, down to the second bullet point there, consciousness. Uh, since we had already held that forth as what we teach, uh, we just threw that out there, that we think the Spirit is conscious, knows what's going on. Uh, Christ said that to the thief that he would be with him in paradise. If the soul's sleeping, if it's not conscious, that, that doesn't mean anything. You can't be with somebody uh, if you're both sleeping. A uh, number of other clues. The uh, biggest one is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, They were certainly aware of their conditions in both places they were. Um, So we took that as a point that we're conscious. Uh, Second one is actually the first one there. Uh, I'm saying that we're going to be bodiless. We will be a spirit without a body. We're going to be in between bodies, if you will. And that's not only hard to explain, it's hard to even think of. Uh, the reason that's hard to even think of is because we've always had a body. Uh, the only condition we know, uh, the first time we became aware of anything, we had a physical body around us. Uh, 
And we don't know how to separate body and spirit. God does. He knows about that. Uh, the Word of God even separates between body and spirit. But we don't, not only don't we know, we've never experienced, uh, it's just a concept we can't deal with. When we talk about spirits, we kind of get ghosty and spooky and think of things floating around in the night and that's about the only concept we've got of it. But from what the Bible teaches, that the spirit leaves the body at death, uh, Paul clearly said, be away from the body and present with the Lord. And since we don't get a resurrection body till resurrection day, the only logical conclusion is that we don't have a body during this intermediate state that we're talking about. Uh, <clears throat> seems unnatural to us, but probably shouldn't. Uh, we deal pretty well with the spiritual realm, uh, Father and Son and Holy Spirit and angels and other creatures. They, we count them as persons, if you will, or personalities or beings or entities, uh, and they're bodiless as far as we know, unless God gives them one to come to earth for some reason. Uh, our spirit, uh, as far as we know, has all of our personhood in it. Uh, it is the eternal part of us. Uh, so we ought to have our full personality. We ought to have uh, the personal identity that we had before we died. Uh, the thing to remember about this period we're talking about is it's not our final destination. It's, a, it's an interim State. Uh, it's a realm of spirits. It's not a place where a body is even not needed, but it's not even suited. Okay? One of the big deals that Paul talks about when he tries to explain the resurrection body is that he says the resurrection body will be fit for the new heavens and the new earth and the new place. The old body was suited for this place. Okay? And he says they're going to be different. The, the resurrection body is going to be considerably different from the physical body. It may look a little like, we don't know. We'll talk about that next week during the resurrection and the second coming. But in this interim state, a body is not... Needed, suited, uh, he doesn't provide one that we know of. Okay. Now, what's that mean? I mean, does that mean we, we have no form or substance? We're just kind of a energy pulse that floats around or nobody can see or what? We don't know. I don't think so. I think, and this is my opinion. Uh, I think that we'll have some kind of shape and consistency. I think we'll be recognizable because the spiritual beings are recognizable. From what little bit we know about it. Anytime a man got a vision of the throne room of God, he described the angels and the creatures there. He didn't say, I walked into a room and... There was God, and I didn't see anything else. 
You know, I heard voices or I felt impulses, but they were all invisible beings. It's not what anybody saw. Not the vision God gave them anyway. They described them with different shapes and consistencies. So, I'm, I'm totally guessing here. I have no proof of any way or different. I mean, we know what the two or three that came back, God gave them a body that resembled their physical body, evidently. Samuel and Elijah and Moses got to come back for a little while to talk to living people. And he evidently gave them their bodies back for a little while. People seemed to recognize them. Uh, but other than that, uh, the only proof I got is that when people had got to visit or had visions, they could describe the spiritual beings as having some kind of form and substance and shape and consistency. So I think we will. I don't know what it looked like. But we don't have a body in the sense that we have a body now or that we have a resurrection body. So realize I didn't tell you uh, much of any substance there. My whole discussion didn't have much body to it there, but it's the best I can do. Uh, he didn't tell us that, but I think we'll be bodiless. Uh, the third thing is probably more important than the first two. Uh, I think everybody in the intermediate state, and there's going to be two kinds of folks in the intermediate state. Because remember, things are settled when we die. So the, the lost are going to be in the intermediate state, and the saved are going to be in the intermediate state. And from our story of the rich man and Lazarus, I, I believe that that's going to be the biggest distinction among us in this intermediate state. It's not what we look like or what our shape is like or anything else. But we're going to be aware of whether we're in torment or bliss. We're going to be aware of whether we're saved or lost. Okay? Uh, the rich man certainly was. He said, I'm in torment. And I'm in agony. Okay? The uh, Lazarus, the beggar, uh, didn't say that. He was pictured as being comforted. A uh, few other verses talk about this intermediate state. I put it, Second Peter 2 9 uh, is a little bit difficult, and we'll, get, we'll come back to that in a minute. But he talks about the lost being kept under punishment. Okay? So they're not in this uh, soul sleep state or anything like that. They're under punishment. Okay? First uh, Peter three nineteen calls it they're in prison. Uh, Lazarus, I already mentioned, was pictures being in Abraham's bosom, uh, which to the Jew was that's as good as it gets. You're 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 in the the good place there if you're with Abraham. Okay, so that's uh, once again that's all we know about it. But I think we're going to know uh, the difference whether we're saved or lost. It's settled then, which most people, that's the question they ask about this intermediate state. If it's settled there and we know it, what, what's the judgment about? 
Well, we'll get, we'll get to the judgment next week. Okay, so that's the condition of the soul. Nobody conscious, aware of whether we're saved or lost, I believe. Now, where's all this happening? How, how do we describe this to people? People ask, where's the soul go after death? Well, how do we describe that, and where do we think it is? What do we think it's like? That's what we'll spend the rest of our time on. Now, I headed that the, the location of the dead, and I don't mean the physical GPS coordinates of it, uh, because I don't believe it is a physical pl- I don't believe hell is beneath the earth. I don't think Satan and hell is in the middle of the earth. That's kind of the way the Bible talks about it, because in biblical language, up is always good and down is always bad. So we kind of think about that. We, we think, well, it's under there somewhere, and it's hot down there, so that ought to work. But I don't think it's a physical, in-the-earth location. For, for one, it's, it's going to be completely destroyed. Um, I think it's a spiritual realm. Uh, I know it's a spiritual realm. Uh, but I don't think we have a direction or a position or a location physically for it anywhere in the Bible of any sort. Okay, the words are what causes some trouble here. So we're going to go through both Old Testament and New Testament words that refer to this location. See if it helps us a little bit. The biggie is Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Sheol used all through the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word. And you go through and read every time it's used, and it means a whole bunch of things. It, it just kind of wraps everything into one big word. Uh, it's the realm of the dead. And literally, it means what's beyond. And that's the way they used it. Uh, King James translated it as, as hell, the grave, the pit. But the Hebrews had a different word for a grave site. Okay? When you put a body in a six-foot-deep hole and covered it up, they had a different word for that. The physical grave, the literal hole in the ground. So Sheol just meant beyond here. When somebody died, they went to Sheol. That's where the dead go. Doesn't tell you much about where it is or what it's like or anything else, uh, but that's the way they thought about it. Is they've gone to the, the place of the dead. Now, the Greeks had a word that pretty much corresponded to that. Hades. It literally means the unseen, the unseeable. When somebody died, if you ask where are they, well, they're in the unseen place now. They're there in Hades. So you could translate it, and we do a lot of times, translate it the same kind of way, the place of the dead. That's which is beyond. It's translated in the New Testament as the hell, grave, death, the depths, and a lot of times just transliterated into Hades. So both the old and new use these words as just kind of everything out there, beyond here. We're in the land of the living. Everybody that's not in the land of the living has gone to the land of the dead. 
he's a Hebrew, you'd say Sheol. If he's a Greek, you'd say Hades. Now, we've got a couple other words that give us a little clue. Tartarus is a Greek word. It's only one place in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2.4. It's translated hell there. But nobody knows a whole lot about what it means, except it's a bad place. Uh, and it's the, the connotation there, or the context, is about the rebellious angels. And that's why we have a little trouble, because it may be a little different place. We don't know exactly what God did with the rebellious angels. He's got them, and that's what Peter's talking about in uh, the verses I mentioned. That's why it gets a little confusing. Uh, In prison, they're confined, they're under punishment, they're, they're being held until the final judgment. So, in my opinion, once again... Uh, Tartarus, the standard explanation is that's the bad part of hell. I mean, bad part of Hades, excuse me. Uh, the bad part of Hades. But from my study, it might be a different place. He might have a little special place for the rebellious angels. Can't prove it. Don't know. Don't have a verse that says so, except Second Peter 2, 4 is the only place this word's used. So it might be a special place, but it's a bad place, wherever it is. And it's in the intermediate state. It's not heaven or hell yet. It's not the the judgment time. The other one that Jesus used, uh, is only in the New Testament, is Gehenna. It's a Greek word. You can read it in uh, the original. You can read back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32. Uh, It's the Valley of Hinnom. There was a place outside Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom, and it was where, in the old days, people sacrificed their children to Baal and Moloch and all of that. It was not a nice place. It's where they burned their children to satisfy their false gods. By New Testament times, the Valley of Hinnom had become the city dump. So Jerusalem used it as a dump, and in those days, uh, they didn't have the EPA telling them how to put dirt on top of the the dump and make a nice mountain out of it. They didn't know how to do that. So they just took everything out there and dumped it, whether it was sewage, dead animals, dead people, anything. They, They threw it all in a heap, and they kept fires burning continually to try to burn some of it up and probably change the stench a little bit. But uh, that's the kind of place it was. It was a place of garbage, sewage, dead animals, maggots, dead people, burning fires. Not a good place. So Jesus used that term to talk about hell. Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. A picture that the Jews of that day could kind of understand. Uh, if you, when you're bad, if you if you're bad when you die, you're going to Gehenna. It's like that. How many want to go? <laughs> Don't get much response. It's a really nasty place. Okay, so that's 
really most of the clues we've got is, is the words. Now, if we take those words and what little the Bible tells us about this intermediate state, we can kind of construct a diagram, if you will, that here's what the place of the dead maybe looks like. And I'm sure you've seen uh, numbers of them. Used to old Bibles had a diagram back in the back of all kinds of locations, and the living soul goes here, and the body goes here, and all kinds of stuff. I looked at a number of them, and I decided I liked this one best. I uh, forgot to put a footnote on it to tell you who did it. Jack Cottrell did this one. Uh, but here's how he describes the intermediate state. On the left of it is the earthly life, and then in the middle is the intermediate state, and then eternity is on the right. So we're not... We're not to that yet. Then he divides it up and down into the saved and the lost. Okay. So if you're on the left side, earthly life, anybody you look at is either saved or lost. Okay. And since they're still walking around, they have a physical body and a spirit together. So he pictures that with his shaded areas. Uh, the white is the, the soul, and the shaded area is the body. So up in the upper left, uh, the saved on earth have a spirit and a body together. And the lower left-hand portion, the lost on earth have a spirit and body together. Now, at death is what we're talking about. What happens then? And the way Cottrell pictures it is the bodies of both the saved and the lost go to Hades. Well, hold it now. I thought that was where the spirits went. Now he's using the word in the way the Bible uses it. He's calling everything in the intermediate state Hades. It's where the dead people go. Okay, The bodies go there too. Now, the body is in a physical grave if we have the body and retrieved it or something. If not, it's somewhere else. But it's the place of the dead. It's a dead body now. So we put it in a hole or we cremate it or we do all sorts of things with it, but it's in the place of the dead, the place of the dead bodies. And he pictures that as actually puts a little superscript on it. He calls it Hades 1. I didn't, don't know if I got this blown up big enough where you can read that, but Hades 1, uh, the grave which receives the dead bodies of all. The reason we can be sure of that is Jesus said when he comes back, both the righteous and the wicked are going to come out of the grave at the same time. Okay, So they're in the grave, in the Hades sub one, if you want to call it that. And then where's the spirit go? The, the white part of the chart here. And he's divided it between Hades... Superscript 2, or paradise are the terms he chooses to use for that. Most charts, and the one you're most familiar with, probably calls it paradise and torment, or paradise and Tartarus. Well, Tartarus is a unique enough word that uh, Cottrell didn't choose to use it for the bad part. It might be in there. In fact, if I was drawing the chart, I might put a little 
subcircle down there in Hades too and call it Tartarus. You know, the angel, rebellious angels are right there with all the other lost spirits. That's okay. Or maybe they're someplace else special. I don't know. But the spirits are in this place, the intermediate state, either paradise or Hades too. The difference between them, one's torment and one's bliss. The people in it know the difference. In fact, if you take the story of Lazarus and rich man, pretty literally, they can see each other. They, they are aware of each other. Now, at the end of this intermediate state, where we are without a body, but we're conscious, and we know whether which side we're on, torment or bliss, when the, Jesus comes again, the resurrection day, when all of that happens, the bodies, which are in Hades, the place of the dead, will come out. We'll talk about that more next week. They'll be resurrected. They'll be changed. And the spirits that are in the intermediate state will come out and reunite with those resurrection bodies. And people that are still alive then will be caught up to be with all of them. And their body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So we'll get to, get to that next week. Then, on the right side of the chart, we're in our eternal existence, heaven and hell. And we'll be there, our spirit will be there with our resurrected body. In hell, the spirit will be there with the resurrected body for eternal torment. Okay. That's how he drew his little rectangular picture and how you choose to think about that or if that makes any sense to you. Uh, I hope it does a little bit. We don't know much more about it. That's the best description we can have. We don't know about the dividing line. We we don't know physically where it is. Uh, I believe personally that it is the same spiritual realm, at least the paradise part of it, is the same spiritual realm that is the throne room of God. I don't think it's heaven, because I don't think the new heaven has been made yet. But it's the throne room of God because Paul said when we're absent from the body, who are we present with? The Lord. Okay. Now, I know the Lord is everywhere, uh, so maybe that's what he's talking about. But I don't think so. I think we will be in the spiritual realm with the other spiritual beings if we're on the saved side and uh, be in the very throne room of God awaiting the resurrection, the second coming, the creation of the new heavens and new earth, and our assignment there after the judgment. All right, a few questions. And some of you gave me some more. Uh, see if I can work a few of them in here. Uh, a lot of people ask, is there any contact between the dead and the living? Okay, these people are over there now. They're in the intermediate state. They're conscious. Can they communicate with the living people? And my answer is a qualified no. Uh, I know it happened a couple of times. God allowed it to happen. But in general, I think not. And the reason I think not is because the rich man specifically asked, 
for an opportunity to do that. And Abraham said, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. That ain't going to happen. You're not going to contact your brothers. And the other reason is all through the Bible, God condemns it specifically. He says, do not try to communicate with the dead. Okay? If it's against his rules and has been forever, uh, why would he let the dead communicate with the living? So I don't think it's possible. Uh, Obviously, if God wants to allow it, which he did when he let Samuel go back and Elijah and Moses, he can allow it if he wants. But I don't think he does. I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't be trying to contact a dead loved one. That's against the rules anyway, God said. But I don't think they can contact us either. All right. Uh, is there any second chance? Uh, I mean, that's a big doctrine in the world is the doctrine of purgatory, that people are in some kind of state here, and uh, they get the little chance you can pray for them, and maybe they can work off some of their uh, sins and get a little better standing somehow and all that. No, the Bible says that's not what happens. Hebrews 9.27 uh, says, Men die then the judgment. You die once, then the judgment. Okay, That works perfectly with this chart. We die, we're in the intermediate state, either in torment or bliss, and then the judgment comes. Uh, Beyond that, man's final state is not based on what somebody prays about after you die. Man's final state is based on this life. That's what you're judged on. Is how you conducted yourself in the body, Second Corinthians five ten. Another question, which you may not have heard this one, but I've heard it a couple of times: uh, Is there any difference in the intermediate states of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints? Okay. Now, where that comes from is some people reason this way: Hold it, if Jesus' death is what pays for everybody's sins. If you died in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't paid it yet. So if you were a good boy or girl, you might get to go to some place that's pretty nice, but you really can't go to the special place until Jesus pays for your sins. So some people teach a kind of limbo, which is a semi-part of uh, paradise or Hades, and they're held there. The Old Testament saints were held there, or are, maybe are held there, until Jesus paid for their sins. And then they could, they either had to stay there until the second coming, or they got out somehow. I've read different things. But the problem with that argument, and I don't believe it's true, the problem is, yes, Jesus' blood paid for all sins, but they were saved by grace. Every Old Testament character we talked about in our study of people, what did it say about them? Their faith was credited to them as righteousness. Okay? God understood their hearts. Whether the, the payment had physically been made by Jesus or not, uh, yes, they were saved by it, by the same concept, but they were saved by grace then. So I don't think they're in any special kind of 
uh, limbo or holding tank or anything else. If it is, it'll be a nice one, I'm sure, but I don't think they are. I think they went straight to the spiritual realm that we've been talking about. Okay, another confusing one. First uh, Peter 3 uh, talks about Jesus preaching to the lost in hell. And uh, we get questions about that every once in a while. And a lot of preachers use that as kind of a big motivational scam, if you pardon my term. Uh, they talk about that. And maybe we ought to go over and read First Peter 3. Make sure we got it. Uh, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous and the, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body. But made alive by the spirit. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And he goes on and talks about Noah. So some people take that and say, aha, he went and somehow went to hell or the bad part of Hades and preached to people and gave them another chance. Uh, I don't think that's what it says. I think that's what some people have dreamed up it says. Uh, My reasoning is that the word is not, he didn't preach in the sense of evangelize. The real word is announce. He went and announced something. And what I think Peter's talking about there is Jesus' spirit, while it was separate from the body, went into this intermediate state for three days. Okay, His body was in the tomb or in Hades, if you want to use Cottrell's terms. His spirit was in paradise because he told the thief that's where he'd be. So his spirit's in paradise. What he was doing there, he was fellowshipping with the dead saints. He was with the thief and with all the other dead saints, the other spirits there. But since there's some kind of acknowledgement between these two sides, remember the rich man could see Lazarus and communicate with Abraham and all that was going on somehow. I think what happened is He was evidently able to announce or proclaim to everybody in Hades that I won. It's over. I have done what I came to do. He didn't give him a check of chance. He didn't say, now if you believe me, come come over the line. Because it was all settled (laughs) at death. But he announced to them, is what I think Peter is saying. And that's not Peter's point. He's not trying to tell us all about Hades and all that. He's trying to tell us that Jesus' spirit was alive. The spirit raised him after that. But his spirit was alive by the spirit. And he went to, and while he was down there, he proclaimed or announced to the lost people in Hades, or maybe to the fallen angels. That's the other explanation. Is maybe they could also hear his communication, and he told them, it's all settled, it's done. Okay? Uh, which would make the torment a little worse, I guess, but I don't know how 
you improve on torment. Okay, one other question will be done. Uh, somebody asked, and we get a lot of questions like this, will you know people? We usually get questions, will you know people in heaven? Uh, but since we know there's this intermediate state there, and if we're conscious, if we recognize each other, uh, will we know people? And the, the downside of it is if we know who people are, and we get there, and somebody's not there that we expected to be there, that won't be a happy place, the way some people reason. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know how that works. My answer always is that, number one, we're promised that there won't be any sadness. There won't be any tears. There's not going to be anything bad about it. So somehow, we're going to be all right anyway. Either we will so completely understand God's fairness and justice and how he worked it out that it doesn't bother us, or he will somehow cause us to be happy anyway. My bottom line on that is the guy that invented the brain can probably do what he wants with it. Okay, Uh, He knows how it works. So if he wants me to be conscious of everything... But still, this one thing that should make me unhappy, I'm not aware of it somehow, or it doesn't make me unhappy somehow. I think he can handle that. I kind of lean toward the part that we're going to understand so completely his judgment and his justice and his fairness, and it's all going to make sense to us. Because we're just going to know that much. And say, oh, okay, I understand that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The The Great Miracle, I think it is. Uh, But that's what it's about, is people that got there, either to heaven or hell, and can't believe that that guy's here too, or why isn't he here? Or They go around the whole time arguing about that. Well, I thought for sure she'd be here. But you mean, and that's what the whole book is about. I don't think we'll argue about it. I think we'll be so aware of what God's justice and fairness, and I think that may be part of, part of what the judgment is, is to help us understand that, that we'll be okay with it. But we're going to be happy, whatever it is, if we're on the paradise side. That's what we need to worry about, getting there. All right, lesson is yours. We'll tackle the resurrection and second coming next week. Uh, if you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with anything you need. If you want to pray with this family or whatever, we'll uh, be at the front here to receive you. Let's stand and sing, and if you need to come, come.